What does it mean to say feelings are not real? How has your understanding of feelings and the relationship to reality changed in recovery? Welcome to episode 192 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Eric and Lucy. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Eric and Lucy, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I want to open with a reading from the Al-Anon book, Discovering Choices. This is on page 11. My first sponsor asked me how I felt, but I didn't know. Ever since I was a little boy, I'd been told how to feel by my family. I took a consensus, and that's how I felt. It took a lot of courage to begin to feel my own emotions. I heard a man say that for most men, emotions are the slimy things you find when you lift up a rock. That really rang true for me. My sponsor said my feelings are mine, and I have a right to feel them. What is really important is what I do with them. I have the right to be angry, but I don't have the right to be verbally or physically abusive. I often find that the root of my anger with someone else is a problem I have yet to address within myself. In Al-Anon, I have learned that the guilt I feel is like a brick I carry in my pocket. I choose to carry it. I can let it go through honesty and amends. I can deal with my fear by living today, one day at a time. That cuts my problems down to a manageable size. Now I can choose to feel joy and happiness. There is no charge for feeling them. I'm going to open this episode with a really powerful share that a listener, Diana, sent about feelings, recovery, compassion, and forgiveness. I do have a little trigger warning. She speaks briefly with some details about the neglect that she suffered as a child. I'll let Diana introduce herself and her topic. Hi, Spencer. This is Diana calling in regards to dealing with feelings, identifying thoughts and beliefs, I had grown up with uh, a drug-addicted father, and my mother had schizophrenia. My sister has a meth addiction. So there was a lot of confusion around feelings because the white elephant in the room that everybody knew about, but nobody was able to say, this is what it is, because God forbid anybody be held accountable to the reality of what was going on. So there was a lot of confusion around feelings. You know, I have a five-year-old myself, and I'm trying to teach her the skill of dealing with her feelings. I don't want her to be suppressed like I was. But I'm, I've am i learned with thoughts and feelings that the first p- part of it is identifying what do I feel. And sometimes it's still hard for me because the tendency to do an addiction is so fast and immediate that I have to just kind of sit in the uncomfortableness of, what is exactly do I feel? Frustration, anger, disappointment. You know, what exactly am I dealing with here? Then I go on to why am I feeling this? Did something specific happen that generated this feeling? Was it a thought? The third step is the hardest part, which is taking action. That means sometimes having the awkward and difficult conversation 
holding someone accountable, pissing someone off, drawing a boundary. Sometimes it's, it's accepting a harsh reality, but it's actually resolving and dealing with the feelings because they're not just going to magically disappear. We have to actually resolve our feelings and emotions. It's not like they're in the driver's seat of our car, but they're not in the trunk either. You know, we should have some kind of sense and into what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And of course, our thoughts have a direct correlation with our feelings. In going through a lot of this process, you know, my journey has been to be in touch with my feelings and it's not been easy, but, you know, every day it's getting a little bit easier and I'm realizing, I think the hardest part was realizing, oh, there was a lot of barnacles in my life and there was a lot of people that were using me and I had to draw boundaries. I had to say no. I had to stop the people pleasing, stand up for myself, get a backbone. But now I'm getting better and better at identifying what I feel. And I think that's important to give validity, validation, and learn to trust in your own feelings. And I think that's part of growing up in a dysfunctional home is that we are taught that somehow our feelings are wrong, our perceptions are wrong. And so there's a lot of confusion around all that. Hi, my name is Diana, and I wanted to share a few things that I've learned in regards to this journey that I've been on for the past five years. I'm wired sensitive. And it was something that I used to see as a character defect. I used to despise that quality within myself because it is a double-edged sword. I was the child who stood over the neighborhood cat that was ran over by the neighbor and cried. I was the child who cried every year that I had to change teachers because of my attachment to the teacher. I can pick up on atmospheres in rooms before words are ever spoken. When layoffs would happen, I would usually know a week in advance. I've just always been a perceiver and a feeler. I wasn't at peace with who God made me to be. And so it was critical to me that I began to become emotionally strong because eating over feelings and doing addictions over feelings is easy. However, feeling our feelings is not always easy. There is pain with it. That I'm responsible for my own comfort, my own validation, my own happiness, my own reassurance, my own inner strength, and my own self-love. See, the days of me looking for something outside myself to fix or feel, fill me, those days for me are over. Believing that something other than God would somehow patch or piece me together, be that a relationship or a substance, or an addiction of any kind, really, to fix the void from within. See, questions on the table for me at this point are, what do I believe? Who am I? What do I feel? And I've learned that feelings aren't necessarily the truth. They're a picture into our beliefs. They're a picture into maybe somebody who's not compatible with our heart, but we need not ignore them. And I did ignore them for years and until I was 100 pounds overweight and until I had depression and severe depression and I didn't understand because on the outside, I was this positive ball of light 
And I was somebody who everyone looked up to as a motivator and the inspirational one. But inside, I was afraid and insecure, pushing down those feelings, and depression resulted. I've realized that if somebody rejects me, I challenge the belief that I am unlovable, that I don't take it as personal to myself, but realize there's a lot of factors in life that we can't control, people being one of those. And sometimes it's their issue that they're not capable of love. And this was something that was really, really hard for me to accept. I had some severe trauma in my childhood. I understand that at six, seven, eight, I didn't have the resources and the abilities to be able to cope or deal or process with what was happening to me. So I denied and I delayed and I deferred way out there into the future until it was something where I couldn't deny it any longer. But I think out of the the issues that I have gone through, the abuse for me wasn't difficult to work through. It was the neglect that was very, very difficult to work through and very painful to work through. Because with abuse, at least some form of attention was coming in your direction, but with neglect, being locked in a basement in the darkness, with being left outside in the rain on purpose, with not being fed for days on end, that was left some deep feelings within that I'm not lovable, that I'm not good enough, that I'm worthless, broken, a reject. Meditation for me was a saving grace as well as my spirituality. But meditation, you know, it was what's going on in there. What is that inner voice saying? Because I want to be aware to what I'm thinking about. That, you know, let's say when my dad rejects me or doesn't speak to me for five years, six years, that the belief that I'm not good enough, the belief that I'm unlovable. Those are things that I want to challenge. See, the thoughts aren't necessarily true. This is the thing that liberated me. Thoughts are information into our beliefs, and the beliefs are where the power is at as far as changing our life. Learning compassion for him down the road and realizing, oh, he's just not capable. But see... This was a long road to get to this point with him. Say he would reject me and I would feel this feeling of fear or panic like I need to feel loved, wanted, and safe right now. And that's where the old me would people please and the perfectionist would sweep in. Like I have to be this perfect person so I don't feel the pain of his rejection. Just please love me. Just please don't let me feel that you don't love me. See, it's a deep-seated insecurity. It's a fear-based driven way of living. It's love deprivation. It's love starvation. Instead of just saying he's not capable of love and accepting the pain and the reality of that. Now sometimes, the new me, sometimes I let it be a mess. I intentionally... Don't run to fix it because I'm wanting them to do their part and stepping back to assess, wait a second, am I doing this out of this desperate attempt and anxious fear-based 
perfectionism, trying to obtain love from somebody? What is my motive? And how do I feel about what just happened? Am I regarded? Am I loved? See, this is self-acceptance. This is self-love. This is self-care. I look at myself and identify the beliefs affecting my life negatively, and I deal with them. Listen, you can't control people. You can't control your own emotions for that matter. You have to live with them in peace. Release them, manage them, feel them. And the power is in changing our beliefs. Feelings are not the truth. I've discovered that I crave security, affection, and love. And that I first and foremost have to give it to myself. And my core moment that I reached, some of the most painful places that I've traveled in the process of therapy, I realized there was this underlying belief. No one seems to really want you. No one seems to really care about you. And those beliefs were founded in neglect. And they were not true. And that's where I step in to love myself. That's where my higher power steps in to love me and wrap his arms around me. It's critical to find a way through, to come out stronger, to be happy, loved, accepted, content, most, you know, first and foremost by myself, to have a deeper knowledge and a deeper acceptance of myself and of my higher power and of the way he loves me in the ways in which my parents could never because they themselves were broken and having compassion for them and saying, it's okay. I forgive you. Having emotional intelligence and sitting with the truth of who I am and all of who I am, the sensitivity, sometimes the negative emotion and, and the positive emotion and the enthusiasm and And sometimes those days where I don't feel great, it's self-love. And this has been my journey to healing. I hope this helped you. Thanks. Thank you, Diana. I definitely connect with a lot of what she had to say about feelings, about feeling inadequate. And it's, it's interesting because I know that in my life as a child, I did not suffer as she did at the at the hands of my family, I wonder sometimes where where my feelings of not good enough, of I'm a fraud, where those come from. But it doesn't really matter, I think, where they come from. What matters is that we have tools today. We have 12 steps that let us see that we are enough by ourselves, that we are loved, and to get a more realistic perspective of who I am, to understand that, as she said, I am in charge of loving myself. I am in charge of which thoughts I choose to accept as real and which I recognize as being based in fear and untruth. And the Al-Anon program has given me that. So again, thank you. Thank you, Diana, for this. If you are listening and you identify with what Diana had to say, if you identify with some of her feelings, if you have found or are seeking 
the recovery that she expressed. We'd love to hear from you. Diana just emailed an audio file, maybe recorded on her phone, I'm not sure, and is able to to join our conversation here, to join our community, and to share her experience, strength, and hope. And we'd love to hear from you also. You can record yourself, send email to feedback at therecovery.show, or avail yourself of any of the contact options that we have on our contact page at therecovery.show slash contact. Please share your experience with feelings, with recovery. Also in the mail this week was an email from Nicole with a couple of song suggestions, and they seem to fit with this topic today. So the first one, that she sent is by Brandy Carlisle called It Wasn't Me. And she says, This song always helps me when I need to find compassion for the alcoholics in my life. I think the chorus says it all. Tell me, did I go on a tangent? Did I lie through my teeth? Did I cause you to stumble on your feet? Did I bring shame on my family? Did it show when I was weak? Whatever you see, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Thinking back over my week, I've been invited to be an advisor at a youth training conference this summer. It's a week long and involves high school age youth, training them in leadership skills and spiritual and self-exploration. I did this back in 2012, and it was an amazing experience for me. And I know from what they have said, it was also an amazing experience for the youth who attended. And maybe I should have put those in the other order, but hey. So anyway, I've been invited to do that again this year. And last Sunday, I joined a conference call, monthly conference call of the people who are going to be on staff as we're planning the various aspects of the session and some of the logistics, putting together the material describing what's happening this year, who who's going to be there on staff and so on. I got pretty short notice of the call. I think it was Sunday or maybe Saturday. I got a text from the person who was organizing it saying, hey, can you join our call? Which was exactly at the same time as my Sunday night meeting. And I wrote back and said, well, yes, but I have this conflict that I can I can put aside, but just wanted to let you know that it's there. So I didn't make it to my Sunday night meeting, obviously. As I have learned in Al-Anon, in recovery, if I don't express my needs, then other people will not take them into account. Then I can be unhappy or have resentments. And so having expressed that I had a conflict and that I accepted the conflict and that, that I would attend the call, then I was okay. You know, Towards the end of the call, we were talking about scheduling the one next month. And I said, you know, I have this conflict on Sunday nights. And, and I think one or two other people had issues with Sunday nights. And so we picked a different time. That simple. 
that simple. But something that before I learned to speak up for myself, I might have just, like I said, been resentful that, hey, they're scheduling this phone call on top of my meeting. Darn it. Grump, grump. For some reason, I've been off a week, and I kept thinking that this weekend was next weekend, um, that some events that are happening next weekend were actually happening this weekend, and that I had had to rush around and, and get stuff done. And then I realized, wait, no, I have another week. And I have two weeks before we go to the March Roundup, the big AA convention in the Detroit area, the weekend of March 10th, I guess it is, 10, 11, 12, something like that. We'll be there. I will be definitely in the Recovered Podcast Hospitality Suite Saturday afternoon. So if you're attending the March Roundup, if you live in the Southeast Michigan area, and I've heard it's a really good conference, I haven't been, but if you're attending and you want to meet up, that might be a good place to do it, but good place and time to do it. Maybe I'll see you there. Meeting yesterday morning, my step meeting, we talked about step 11. My share on step 11 was focusing on prayer. Prayer is a way of focusing my attention maybe on the things that that I need help with, but also focusing on the fact that I'm not necessarily the best person to decide what's good for me and to ask for help in understanding what is what is good for me. And as often happens, there was a sentence in the reading about Step 11 in the book, Paths to Recovery, that I don't remember seeing before. And that really spoke to me. It said of prayer, We ask our higher power to increase our desire to do what is good for us and to diminish the desire to do what isn't. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly it. I still think often in black and white, yes or no, on or off, good or bad. And this sentence really is about the grays. You know, to increase our desire to do what is good for us and diminish our desire to do what isn't. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to never do the things that are not good for me. I don't need to always do the things that are good for me. I just need to shift. I need to do more of the things that are good and less of the things that are not good. Eat more spinach and less candy, to put it in very simplistic terms. But I can still eat candy. Thank goodness. Well, as I said, I'm letting topics come to me. Diana's share came in just at the right moment for me this week. As I was like, I don't know what. I don't know what I'm going to do this week for a topic. And boom, here's this perfect, perfect share. Thank you, Diana. Some topics that we're thinking about, obsessive thinking. I've gotten one email about obsessive thinking. If you want to share your experience, strength, and hope about obsession, obsessive thinking, maybe how the program has helped you with not doing it so much or doing less of it, of the things that are not good for you, which obsessive thinking generally not not so hot for peace of mind and serenity anyway. Also, Alateen, if you've got experience with Alateen as a sponsor or as a member, love to hear from you your experience, strength, and hope. Eric is pushing us to do an episode or two on parenting. I think two. One, about being the parent of an alcoholic or addict. 
and another about being the sober parent in a family and about how to be a good parent to your children in that situation. So again, love to hear from you, your experience, your thoughts, your questions about parenting either aspect or both. And how do you do that? How do you share with us? How do you join our conversation? You can call and leave a voicemail, 734-707-8795. We have a voicemail button on the website that you can use to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at show. Or you can visit our contact page, which has all the information about different ways to join our conversation at therecovery.show slash contact. And we really would love to hear from you. If you go to the website, therecovery.show, you can find the notes for each episode. I try to put links to things we talk about in the episode, and in particular the music. You'll find music videos for the songs that we talk about in the show notes for each episode. Nicole's second song suggestion, she writes, This is by my absolute favorite musician, independent singer-songwriter Chris Purica. I'm really not sure about the pronunciation of that name, by the way. That's me, Spencer. Nicole continues, I was shocked when I found myself struggling with my wife's sobriety. I mean, I'd spent years wishing she was sober, yet I found myself angered by her sobriety. And then I listened to this song, a longtime favorite, and the answer became clear with these lyrics. You start to miss it some, the way you miss the rain, the way you miss the fighting when the war is won. But what I miss the most is knowing just exactly where it hurts, is knowing just exactly what is wrong, and what I want, and what I want. And Nicole continues. During her drunken days, it was easy to identify the hurt, alcoholism. Now I have to look deeper. And the uh, the song title is Wrecking Ball. And I spoke last week during our episode about Al-Anon slips of asking some friends, some podcast participants to share their thoughts about slips and a couple more came in after we recorded the episode. Here's one. Spencer, when I think of a slip, an Al-Anon slip, I think of when I do something in the old way and have the perspective that it was, in fact, an old way of doing things. I'm sure that I do a lot of things in the same way as I used to, and I can't expect to realize them until I see a new way to try. Specific ways for me are when I detach with anger, don't take my Al-Anon pause, taking things automatically as an attack, not setting boundaries where needed, or not enforcing my boundaries, and not interacting with different groups with my knowledge of the traditions. My old ways found anger as a suitable coping mechanism. It was automatic and many times kept me feeling safe while hurting the others around me. I've found a new way of coping with things and detaching. When I do catch myself responding or detaching in anger, I consider that an Al-Anon slip. Taking the new approach with an Al-Anon pause I can take a second to see if there's an opportunity for me to see things differently or use any one of my newfound tools in the program. When I don't take this pause, I might consider it an Al-Anon slip. 
Recently, I have been learning about the traditions and how they can help me within different group contexts. They help me keep myself safe while still keeping the group in mind. Ultimately, they are helping take steps closer to balance and serenity in my life. They allow me to always be looking for my newly discovered higher power to be talking to me, helping restore me to sanity. When I do feel like I have slipped, I have a choice whether to get down on myself for doing that or take encouragement that I am trying a new way and not feeling comfortable in the old way anymore. I know how to fix the things that need to be fixed and hopefully how to learn from the slip and to find serenity in the next similar situation. That was from Tom, who has been in a number of episodes recently. And a friend, Kelly, who has not been in the podcast, also wrote, For me, an Al-Anon slip is when I try to control another person or impose my worldview on their experience. I recently had an Al-Anon slip with my husband. After a meeting that we both attended, he was relating some thoughts to me about his own program. As he was speaking, I felt this overwhelming urge to tell him about his recovery. As the words were coming out of my mouth, I knew I was out of line, and yet, once I got going, my ego was like a freight train and couldn't be stopped. As I was taking his inventory, I started crying because I knew in my heart that what I was doing was wrong, but my head was so addicted to being right about him, having the right take on his experience, pointing out the blind spots in his recovery, and how he could practice his program more honestly. Recovering from that slip for me was about the tenth step. First, I had to apologize to my husband for my arrogance. But since then, the more long-term amends to him has been the process of trying to figure out how to express my opinions and observations in a compassionate way without overstepping. For that learning, I've been leaning on the AWOL group that I belong to with my sponsor. It's a place where, unlike a typical meeting, I can speak without the constraints of time and get direct feedback on my share. It's a really valuable opportunity for me to be able to do deep group work on my recovery and to participate in a very meaningful way with the recovery of others. Thanks, Spencer. Kelly. And we also got a couple of emails about other things. Emily writes with the subject, Episode 191 and more. Greetings from Terre Haute, Indiana. I ran across your podcast a couple of months ago when I was doing some research to chair a meeting for my Friday home group on the topic of detachment, a topic that still fascinates me today. Sometimes it is so easy and other times it escapes me completely, much like every other aspect of Al-Anon. Sometimes it seems easy, other times it seems impossible. One thing I know is that I came in a year ago, baffled, angry, sad, confused, resentful, and every other emotion possible. And today I have some semblance of serenity most days. The only reason I have that semblance of serenity is because I came in, and when I finally completely relinquished control, chose a sponsor, started working the steps, and spoke to members frequently, my life and my outlook on life started to improve and improve and improve. I am the child of an alcoholic, which means I have a lot of deep-seated hurt and emotional trauma, some of which hasn't even breached the surface yet, and it means that I slip frequently back into those old behaviors that were formerly intended to protect myself in an unsafe environment. It is incredibly difficult to change these behaviors that once served me so well, but this program teaches me to be patient with myself, to take it one day at a time, and to trust that if I do the work, the outcome will be well worth it. And I see that in the so-called old-timers. I see what they have and I want it, and that helps motivate me to keep moving forward, admitting when I slip up and make mistakes, learn from them, and try to do better next time. 
I love the patience that people in this program have. It is the kind of patience that I have never had in my life with other people, and definitely not with myself, but I am getting there. Thank you for putting this podcast out there. I appreciate so much being able to work my program anytime, anywhere, and this allows me to continue to do that. Thank you for what you do, Emily. And thanks, Emily, and I guess that was a little bit about slips, but also just about recovery. And Tanya wrote with the subject, Enormous Gratitude. Hi, Spencer. I have had such a great day with listening to episode 191 on Al-Anon slips on the way to my face-to-face meeting in Prague, Czech Republic. An imperfect but super nourishing meeting using the Al-Anon readers as topics, as usual, just so perfect for my process today. Fellowship calls to reason through some of my codependent challenges and to talk about service and sponsorship. I've just now scoured your previous episodes and will listen to those about sponsorship to learn more. Listening to the Sherry S. Open Talk helped me identify and shed some very deep tears of sadness and of joy. I have truly experienced so much deepening of my program by listening to the podcast and I'm so grateful for your service, Spencer, and to everyone who has joined you as co-hosts. It works if you work it is so true for me, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. We all learn at our own pace, and as much as I have wanted to control the brevity of my recovery, I now recognize the wisdom of the wonderful women in my first meetings in Australia who said, we wish you a long, slow recovery. I love, love, love your podcast. I'm seeing the promises come true in my life, and I'm so grateful to feel my sparkle back and to know who I really am as a result of working the steps. I love the slogans. It works if you work it, so work it, you're worth it. I see members much recovered, and I want what they've got, serenity. So I'll keep coming back to preserve my sanity. Love and fellowship, Tanya. And Czech Republic and Australia, we are truly worldwide. Podcasts go all around the world. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Eric and Lucy did. Thank you again, Eric and Lucy, for your contributions this week. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. And I want to thank those of you who apparently did your Christmas shopping on Amazon. Got a nice gift card from them in the mail a couple days ago for the, the December donation. Thank you. And thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply redirect them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.